Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of The Just Pod. Today, we are joined by Raul Ayala. So Raul, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Emily, for inviting me. Yes, Raul is here today to share his work experience with us for our Day in the Life series. And Raul is currently the Deputy Federal Public Defender at the Office of the Federal Public Defender, Central District of California, and is also the Collaborative Courts Supervising Attorney. So Raul also keeps very busy within our section and has a number of different roles within the criminal justice section among other volunteer experience, but for now I'll, I'll tell you about his criminal justice section roles. He serves as a co-chair of the Division of Corrections and Sentencing, and is also a chair of the Alternatives to Incarceration and Diversion, and is currently serving as the chair for the Diversion Standards Task Force, which will be presenting its standards to our council at this fall institute. So we'll be hearing from that group soon. So Raul, thank you again for being here. As I mentioned, you are joining us for our Day in the Life series to help our law students and young lawyers as they try and you know, move forward with their career path and have a better understanding of what different roles within the criminal justice system look like. So you're going to talk to us about being a public defender and what that looks like. So would you just give us a description of what a typical day in the life of a public defender would look like? And you know, if there's some variations you want to make sure everyone's aware of, share those as well. First, thank you, Emily. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for the listeners. You know, this is really fun to talk to young lawyers and law students. You know, I've been practicing for a long time. I'm pushing 40 years, 20 years in private practice and almost 20 years as a federal public defender. And it's been great. So one thing I knew early as a law student is I didn't want to do corporate law, right? So I kind of scratched that off the list, you know. And I didn't want to be a prosecutor, so I scratched that off the list. So what was it going to do? I, you know, I wanted to work with people and try to help people when they were in a fix, which is what we typically do as lawyers, right? But I didn't want to do all the civil stuff. You know, you can do small business, you can do divorces, you can do civil litigation. I was interested in helping people when they were really in the jam, right? Arrested, charged with a crime, facing major disruptions in their lives, right? You know, I didn't really plan it out, but I came across some friends who were federal public defenders in the early 80s. And I said, man, that's exactly what I wanted to do, right? And so I applied to the LA County Public Defender's Office and to the Federal Public Defender's Office at the same time. I got an offer from both, and I was very fortunate to pick the Federal Public Defender's Office. Why? You know, because if you can try a case in any federal district court and or argue an appeal in any you know, circuit court in the United States, you can try a case anywhere, right? So I was very, like I said, very fortunate to have that training. I took a $10,000 pay cut at the time to be a federal public defender. I haven't regretted it since. And so what does our life look like? You know, I can divide it into pre-trial, right? Trial work and post-conviction or post-trial work. So the pretrial work sometimes is the most exciting because we're assigned on duty. So any new arrest that comes in, right? 
we meet the client when they just get to the courthouse in custody. You know, we talk to them a little bit about, you know, obviously bail, trying to get them out, what those resources might look like, who to call. I try to get a favorable report from the pretrial services agency. And then of course, our very first role as advocates is to try to get them out of custody, right? So that happens all on the same day. Sometimes you get one call, sometimes you get 10. So you're hustling and trying to make all things work. And the beauty about working in our office is that we have great paralegals that can help. We have great legal assistants. We have investigators, we have colleagues. So that, you know, we're working as a team to try to get that person out. And then in the last couple of years, we've developed our social services unit. You know, we have social workers that try to address all those collateral issues, right? As lawyers, we think about just, okay, how are we going to get the person out? How are we going to defend them? Look at discovery, what motions, trial strategy, trial, et cetera. But there's also all the other parts, right? What happens with their family obligations? What happens with their rent? What happens with their job? You know, what happens with their health situation? So all that stuff is more of a holistic client-centered approach. So that's pretty exciting in the last couple of years here in the office. And then, of course, trial work is kind of the meat of the work. Although in federal court, you try, you know, probably less than 10% of the cases that come in. You know, mostly you're working up a plea. In federal court, pleas are very complicated. We have the sentencing guidelines. You've got to look at all those, you know, machinations and crunch those numbers and negotiate with the government. But trial work is exciting, right? And typically in our office now, we have two people in the trial team, two lawyers, first chair and a second chair. So the new lawyers can be paired up with a more experienced lawyer. And you're in court and you're you know, picking a jury, you're arguing motions, you're examining witnesses, you're cross-examining witnesses, you're making the, you know, the opening statement and the closing arguments and you know, thinking about appellate issues. So that's pretty exciting and very intensive, but it's great, right? For people who are interested in trial work, you can't beat it because you're going to get into a forum where you're going to be trying cases. In the post-conviction world, part of the collaborative courts, we have a drug program, a drug court. People have been to prison. They're coming out. They're on supervised release. You know, they're either relapse or, you know, having technical violations. So instead of going back to prison, which is what the law loves to do, unfortunately, you know, we try to give them other resources. We have a star team, what we call a star court where we have uh, intensive supervision, we've got judges, prosecutors, probation officers, us, social workers to try to get them the services that they need. So, you know, it's pretty exciting. Compared to private practice, you know, all the core stuff is the same, but at the same time in private practice, either you're helping somebody else in their practice slash business, or you're doing your own, right? So you got to think about fees, collecting the fees, how are you going to advertise, how are you going to get clients, how are you going to keep those clients? So you have more of a business part to think about. And I encourage our young lawyers to think this is a constitutional law practice, right? What are we dealing with? We're dealing with the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, Eighth Amendment, right, of the Constitution. People's rights, when they come across a police officer, what they can say, what they don't have to say, when they get arrested, you know, bail, trial rights, all those kind of things. So it's really exciting, right? The, on the flip side, right, you know, depending on the setup of the office and the resources of the office, it can be pretty impactful on somebody, on a lawyer. It can be a lot of pressure too sometimes. You know, sometimes we hear about the numbers of clients that you have to have, the vicarious trauma, if you will, 
of seeing the trauma that your clients go through and their families and the communities that they come from. So there's that side that we also have to prepare ourselves for, right? We don't come into being a defense counsel or a public defender to win all our cases, right? To be the knight in shiny armor on the white horse and go off into the sunset victorious. You know, they're few and far between. So we have to put it in perspective, right? A, you're really dealing with the client, really you know, trying to help the client maneuver his or herself through the system, right? B, you're trying to get a fair and just outcome. If that means trial and you eventual acquittal, that's great. You try that. Or if you're going to negotiate, try to negotiate a fair and just resolution to that case, which, of course, isn't always possible because you got prosecution, you got probation, and, of course, you got the judge, right? And you got the state of the law that always isn't favorable. But you have to put that all in context and do the best you can for the client. And the way I learned very early on from a colleague is try to minimize the disruption in that client's life, right? Because in the federal court and in state court with a lot of mandatory minimums or just the sentencing structures, people are facing a lot of time, sometimes for the first offense, sometimes for the 20th offense, right? So, so you know, I looking back, I wouldn't change it for the world. I've been back now. I did four or five years as a federal defender. I must have tried back then. This was pre-guidelines. Dozens of cases, argued a lot of cases in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is pretty exciting. Went into private practice for 20 years and got tired of chasing the clients, chasing the money, you know, going from court to court to court. Been back now 12 years and it's been great. Right. And so now what I do, I don't do trials anymore. I do our collaborative courts. Mm-hmm. You know, our pre-trial diversion court and our post-conviction drug court. Well, so you talked a bit about how you got the job originally, or what brought you to the public defender's office, but would you take a step back and give our listeners some of those key opportunities or networking connections that helped you get to where you are? Of course. So when you go into any public defender's office, you're going to come across people with a lot of experience, right? You know, lawyers who've been practicing 5, 10, 15, 20 years plus, in my case here, you know, there's several of us who've been practicing more than 20 years, 25 years. Like I said, I've got almost 40 years. So you're going to come into a wealth of information, right? A wealth of experience. And people want to help you, right? You know, you want to be a good lawyer, particularly as a young lawyer, you know, a very competent lawyer, somebody whose word is valid and respected, right? So you want to be able to support the younger lawyers and to establish their reputation and their skills and ability. So you come into a public defender's office, you're going to get that almost regardless of where you go. Pick your location, you know, carefully. Sometimes we have to go where there's an opportunity. Okay. Other times you have to go where it's financially feasible for yourself. I know that now compared to when I was in law school, the amount of debt people come out with, right? You know, oftentimes it makes going into public interest law virtually impossible, right? When you've got the equivalent of a house payment to make on your loans, you know, you can't go work for one half or one third of what some corporate law firm is going to do. But if that's really what you want to do, find your way to that, right? It doesn't have to be straight out of law school, but it's very rewarding work because these are, you know, we kind of become friends to the friendless, right? And so it also taught me the network opportunities of all the resources that are out there, other lawyers that have experience, 
other organizations like the, the ABA, Alley County Bar Association, for example, locally, the California Public Defender Association, the National Association of Public Defense. So it opens up good networking opportunities to find other lawyers who are facing the same issues or who have addressed the same issues in the past. You can pick their brains. People are willing to share their research and their motions and their strategies with you. So it's exciting, right? You know, we have a really, really solid community of defenders and public defenders that want to help each other because we understand, you know, the challenges and struggles that we face. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I'm sure very encouraging to our listeners to hear that. Now, as you look back, you said you wouldn't change a thing, but what is one thing you wish you had known before working as a public defender? Right. No, that's really a good question. So a couple of things. One is I would have given my career path a little bit more thought, right? I had the job that I wanted. I was doing the work that I wanted. I was working with people that I liked. I was defending clients that needed my services and my compassion and, and my skills, right? I didn't look at the longer term, right? I think some people come into a public defender's office, I'll get some trial experience and then I'll go out on my own. That's fine. That's fine. But uh, don't lose sight of the fact that we also have to think about things like retirement, right? And 401ks or retirement system contributions. So if I had thought about it, you know, I came in, let's say I was in my late 20s, I do 20 years, I get a nice retirement package. I'm still under 50 or 50. I got, you know, years to go. And I could have thought about that a little bit better, right? You know, so far it's worked out okay, but that's important to take a look at because ultimately many, not all, are government-related entities. Right? For example, as a uh, federal public defender, most of us, not all of us, because we're also community public defenders for, in the federal system, we're hooked up with a federal employment and employee retirement system, right? So I get good benefits, I get good time off, I get good sick leave, I get financial contributions from my employer for my retirement, we have a savings plan, et cetera. So those are, you know, things to think about. For the county, for example, they've got also a great set of benefits, they actually pay more than we do, you know, so you take a look at those, right? I think every young lawyer should look at, you know, what are the longer term, you know, thinking of the future of retirement benefits from this particular job. And the other beautiful thing is, you know, once I'm in the federal system, I can go to another federal agency if I wanted to, or there are people who come from the service, and those years count, right? Or you're in the state government, you know, you're a county public defender, you want to go to county council or do something else. It's all the same retirement systems. That's good. The other thing that I didn't pay good attention, and this started in law school, was self-care, right? I know that the legal profession now is thinking a lot more about well-being, right? And it doesn't mean that we're a bunch of weaklings or saps or anything like that, but we have to recognize that being a, a professional, whether it's legal, medical, you know, engineering, others, we're taking on very important, very critical roles in people's lives, right? So that puts a lot of pressure on us. And how are we going to deal with that pressure? We have to recognize when it comes, we have to recognize the reactions within ourselves, and we have to give it a little bit of thought. What am I going to do? How am I going to relieve this pressure other than, you know, drinking myself to sleep every night, other than, you know, going out and finding some pills that'll knock me out, other than, you know, burning the candles at both ends, other than, you know, stressing myself out and not being able to sleep and, 
you know, illnesses and those kind of things. So that's an important thing that I wish I would have given a little bit more thought. Uh, you know, eventually, you know, the, this is public knowledge. Eventually I got sober, but it took me a long time. You know, when I got to law school in the 70s in San Francisco, it was like, you know, it was a free landscape. Right. right? <laughs> right. Yes. So, right. So looking back at it is, you know, I could have done that a little bit better. I would have minimized some of the disruptions in my own life. Right. My mm-hmm. own person. Yeah. So, so give that some thought. And there are resources now. Right. Mm-hmm. Back then it's like, suck it up. Right. Oh. You're worried about this stuff. Maybe you shouldn't be a lawyer. Maybe you mm-hmm. should go and you know do this or do, do that. So, but that's not true. You know, just I think as you know, the legal profession is giving that a lot more thought. There's a lot of great articles out there from the law student perspective, from the lawyer perspective, from the judicial perspective. You know how this stuff affects us and what we can do about it in a positive manner. Yes, thank you so much, Raul. And also listeners, you probably recall that we had a well-being series and Raul actually helped us find our contributors for that series. So certainly take his words there to heart. They're very sincere. We appreciate all your work that you're doing to advocate for that and bring awareness within our section as well, Raul. So thank you. you. Um, All right. Well, We appreciate all of your insights and your contributions to our Day in the Life series here today. So, Raul, before we close, is there any final thoughts that you had? I would encourage law students and young lawyers who have any thought of going into criminal defense, go to a public defender's office, talk with somebody, right? Go to the courts, right? Talk to the prosecutor, talk to probation. We can have you talk to judges, right? to see how that looks and how that feels. We have legal interns that come and work for us. We have MSW interns that come and work with us. So go take a look. It's no mystery. We're not trying to hide anything. And please, we think that the more you investigate and get a feel for it, those who really have the calling will take that next step. We'll welcome you with open arms. Great. Well, thank you again. And listeners, once again, this is Raul Ayala, Deputy Federal Public Defender at the Office of the Federal Public Defender in the Central District of California, and also the Collaborative Court Supervising Attorney. So thank you again. Thank you, Emily. Thank you, listeners. Good luck. And now we have our second guest for today's episode joining us for our Day in the Life series, Ellen Yaroshevsky. So Ellen, thank you for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Emily. So Ellen is the Howard Lichtenstein Distinguished Professor in Legal Ethics and Professor of Law with Hofstra University, and is currently serving as Special Advisor to the Executive Committee for the Criminal Justice Section. So we've invited Ellen here today to contribute to our Day in the Life series. As I mentioned, Ellen is a professor in legal ethics. And so we have asked Ellen to help give us the perspective of an academic. So Ellen, would you please give us a description of what a day in the life of an academic would look like? Well, thank you very much for that. First of all, I have such a long title. It's like silly. I am a clinician by background. So for 28 years, I was at Cardozo Law School. I've been at Hofstra for five and I've done a variety of things. I was a clinician for much of that, meaning that I ran a criminal justice clinic where we actually represented individuals in court and we taught students how to be lawyers. I still teach criminal procedure and I teach legal ethics, but I don't do actual representation of clients anymore. So when you say what's the life of an academic, it depends what kind of academic. 
if you're a clinician, it's a very different life than if you're me now, because what I'm doing now, I'm teaching courses. I do them through simulation. I run a social justice program. So I have a series of fellows that we select every year. And then we mentor those people. We do programs together. And then the other thing that I do is I run Monroe Friedman Institute. And so we put on a series of cutting edge programs. Most academics who are not doing clinics teach two courses per semester. And then they spend a lot of time writing and researching and traveling around the country going to programs. I've done that as well. So when you say the life of an academic, it's varied. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that perspective for us. And also, you know, of course, clarifying that it, it will be different depending on what role you're serving in for and your university. Yeah. Sorry. And hopefully you're spending a lot of time with students because the reason that, you know, we become academics and get paid decently to do so is hopefully we're mentoring the next generation. So I particularly like spending time with young people and with students, watching them grow and develop. That's great. Well, perfect segue to my next question, which is, you know, along the lines of mentoring and networking. So what work or networking opportunities helped you in your career path to secure the position that you're in now, or even, you know, what got you started? Well, it's, you know, it's all a question of luck in some ways. And luck meaning you take whatever opportunities you can. So you find out who do you want to talk to? Who do you want to be with? Who would you like to be with? And be brave and be bold and try to connect with those people. So you know, I came of age at a very different time. It was very different back then. You know, law school did not cost a lot of money. There were many, many opportunities back then. It's much more difficult now. It's much more expensive now. So what I would say to young people is, you know, pick out the professors who you think are great and meaningful for you and make sure that you talk to them. Go network with them. Find out what they would suggest you do. If there are people in, you know, like the criminal justice section is a perfect place, right? If you want to do criminal justice work, whether prosecutor, defender, academic, whatever, there are terrific people on this council, judges, prosecutors, lawyers, academics, reach out to people because that's the way you make connections, not only in law, but in anything. And a lot of it at the end of the day, you know, is just a constant networking and a lot of luck. Great. Thank you. Appreciate that. So let's talk about what you wish you had known before working as an academic. What I wish I'd known. Well, there's many things I did not know, you know, as an act, first of all, to get jobs as academics is really hard. So the idea you think you're going to be a lawyer for many years, become a great lawyer and then become an academic, that just doesn't happen. And I think lawyers don't know that. The path to academia these days is that you graduate, generally speaking, from a high-ranking law school, you clerk for a few years, you work for a firm, then you get hired as an academic, and hopefully you write along the way. That was certainly not true when I was in law school. But for people who want to pursue an academic path, they have to think about those things early on. Grades matter, writing matters, being on a journal matters. So if you want to be an academic, and I'm not talking about a clinical academic, essentially, but any kind of academic, that's the path that works best. All right. Well, very insightful. I'm sure very informative for our listeners and appreciate that. So, you know, as we wrap up our day in the life, is there anything else you think our listeners should know about or take into consideration as they consider the path of an academic for themselves? 
Yeah, you have to think of what kind of person you are. I mean, academia can be a very solo life. You have to like to write by yourself. You know, I tend to be a person who likes to engage with other people frequently. I love being in the courtroom. It was quite the transition to then be solely with colleagues. You're kind of removed from practice. People who are lawyers tend not to treat academics very seriously. You know, that may be warranted, but in many cases it's not. So you have to realize you'll be viewed very differently as a person who doesn't know how to do anything except write law review articles when, frankly, many academics are perfectly capable of doing a lot more and do much more than that. I know that's telling it like it is. And I'm sure that's very helpful, especially that part about how you might be perceived. And, you know, it's very important for us to take into consideration things to prepare yourself for. It's good to be forthright with that. Well, Ellen, we certainly appreciate your contributions to this series for our young lawyers and law students and hope that this is all very helpful for our listeners and appreciate that. So listeners, once again, this is Ellen Yaroshevsky, the Howard Lichtenstein Distinguished Professor in Legal Ethics and Professor of Law with Hofstra University. So thank you again. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod.